You're listening to The Middle, the show about the Australia-China connection. We're bringing greater balance and broad expertise to all aspects of the Australia-China relationship. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Middle, the show about Australia's relationship with China. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and my co-host is Wanning's son and our producer today is the wonderful Kayla McHugh. Um, Wanning and I come to you from the University of Technology, Sydney. The middle is inspired by the simple desire to shed more light than heat on Australian China relations. To do that, every week we explore one aspect of the relationship with two subject area experts. And if you'd like to catch up with previous episodes in either English or Mandarin, please go to themiddleau.com. And you can even see what we look like if you fancy that. So, Wani, perhaps you should tell us what this week's episode is all about. Yes, thanks, Peter. Uh, this, this week, we're talking about Australian media's coverage of China. Now, we're asking some questions here. Are Australian journalists doing an OK job in covering China? Uh, or are there any problems in the Australian media's coverage of China? Does the media deal in feelings more than facts when it comes to China? Mm. And how do news organizations create quality reporting on China as a newsroom budget continue to dwindle? Today, we have two guests who are very, very well qualified to answer these questions. Glenda Corporal is joining us from Beijing. Glenda is a senior financial journalist from The Australian with more than 30 years experience reporting on business and finance around the world. And in the studio, we have Sulin Tan, and Suling is a journalist at the Australian Financial Review, re- uh, reporting on a wide range of things, but most recently on Asia, China, and politics. And Suling, you've been doing quite a lot of real estate reporting as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. In the mm. last probably five years, watching the market go up and down. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really pleased it's going down because I'm in the market, so we'll get some <laughs> advice later. Um, it seems that we can look at China-related content journalism in Australia is belonging to sort of one of three areas. There's reporting about China, there's reporting on Australia-China relations, and then there's reporting on Chinese influence. So, I mean, you might dispute those three characterizations, but how would you, let's start with you, uh, Sulin, how would you assess the media's performance in those three areas? Um, poor. <laughs> Extremely poor, and I'm not going to hold back here. I, um, I, I, I've spent uh, the last few years watching the coverage go from, you know, reasonably curious to absolutely radicalised and one-sided. Uh, it just seems that certain journalists, uh, particularly if, even the ones who are very experienced, have a certain agenda. Uh, they're set in their minds that there is some kind of a conspiracy theory, and they're going down every possible path looking for something. And almost always without evidence and almost always without a voice from the other side. So in okay, that sense... Well, I'm sure we're going to come back to that theme. <laughs> what about you, Glenda? Are you th- I mean, those, I don't know, those three years, reporting about China, reporting on Australia-China relations, and then reporting on China influence, because perhaps what Su Lin's getting at is more prevalent in reporting on China, China influence questions. But, you know, she might dispute that. What do you think, Glenda? Well, there has been an enormous 
uh, increase in reporting on China influence, uh, security, seeing China as a threat. Um, just, I mean, Beijing, so I have to, all I can do is, you know, follow online as, as everyone else. So it does seem like almost every story um, or story after story is looking to um, have China as the red under every bed. I mean, it's interesting with the story on the on the hacking of the uh, email in Parliament House. Now, the Prime Minister announced that it, it could have been a state actor or whatever, and and yet and, and look, maybe there were briefs. What I don't know are there journalists being briefed in Canberra by uh, various interests um, because journalist after journalist then just said, "Oh, it's China." Um, yeah, there wasn't. There, China wasn't named, but the the assumption was it was China. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the question is maybe I mean you know maybe these journals are being briefed by someone or security interests or or whatever um, whatever it is there this this kind of reporting is uh, has become almost a prevalent reporting when in fact there's heaps of other stuff going on I mean you've got students coming out you've got tourists you've got business um, it's a very broad relationship uh, on many fronts you've got art art interests people, artists coming and going. Um, and yet, it almost the front page or the early page stories are are all um, with a security flavour, and mm, uh, mm. certainly very you know um, painting China as um, uh, in a, in a quite a negative way. And uh, somebody, I, I there must be given this more than one journalist. Uh, maybe you know people are there is extensive briefing going on. I, I that's mm. not happening to me, but it, 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 I, I can only think that there's a bit more to it. Uh, somebody is, is briefing these um, these journalists on something which I'm not aware of. Well, Glenda, just having you uh, uh, talk about like that in that way, and that it seems to me that uh, some China scholars and media scholars, like uh, you know, in, in the universities, also argue that the reporting on China has gone a bit too far in the direction of um, China bashing, if you like, or anti-China as a kind of knee-jerk kind of reaction. So are they being too sensitive uh, about this or do they actually have a point? I guess I sense from what you're saying that you think they might have a point. Well, actually, I go back to uh, the days one of, uh, when um, the, the interest in China came from the Whitlam government and then it came from the Hall government and there was huge, at, at top levels of government, you had... Of course, in all our lifetimes, China has been a communist country, mm-hmm. uh, and it still is, and it's still, you know, uh, people do. I think what happens is people, new people come to China, and they say, well, I've seen Shanghai is just like us. Well, it, it's a communist country, and since 1949, it has been one. Um, what what you aren't having, I think one of the vacuums is at the top of the government. Uh, you know, the opening up and the connections with China have, were done by, you know, the Whitlam Hawk and then Keating. Um, it, it seems at the top level of the government now, there's not a, um, you know, the, 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 there's an ambivalence about China, mm. and I think that feeds through into into um, into journalism and thinking. But but there's clearly with this Huawei story, um, it, it fits into intelligence and security, and and clearly all around the world, um, journalists are being briefed or fed or whatever stories by various sources and, yeah, and it's yeah, bubbling it's, through yeah. into the coverage. 
Well, let's ask Suleen the same question. Do you think journalists might have been briefed somehow? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a fair amount of behind-the-scenes kind of political manoeuvre here. Instead of actually coming out and saying what they need to say or even standing up for what their rights are, absolutely no no wrong defending Australia's national interests or, or security, but they don't. They do it in a clandestine fashion, you know, just going around the back and dropping it with certain, you know, journalists who have a certain agenda or have already been radicalised to thinking that there is a, you know, China's taking over the world. Isn't it something to do with a kind of innate fear of, you know, China's powerful, and when it was a, a big country full of peasants, that was one thing, but now it's actually a big country full of people with lots of money who come to Sydney and buy a Harvard mansion. So that's not the model that we expected, right? That's not the China that we could understand. We wanted a China (laughs) that would take our wheat and wool and, you know, but be a bit, wouldn't get too bolshy. Now we have China rising as a superpower. And, and, theref- and therefore it reflects a narrow-mindedness of mm. the Australian people mm. and particularly it's Australian leaders and government because it's, it's their job to educate and guide in that the world's changing, China's changing. And uh, instead of looking to uh, breach that relationship, you, they're like trying to push reporting it on the ground from China? I mean, are there pressures are on you in terms of what you can and can't do uh, the influences on you do you, do you do you feel that you're you know what you do is being watched and and all that sort of stuff or do you have relative freedom um, well probably yes to all of that in the in the like but the Australian government I know monitors what I write as well mm, um, of course it does so um, uh, and and the Chinese government would do that and the Chinese embassies but you know that that's life being a journalist. In some ways, you know, there's a lot more openness in the sense that you've got a you've got internet controls, but really you've got so we've got the party congress. Well, there's a website for it. They're updating it. Um, there, if there's a press conference, they're reporting from it, um, and I can get that fairly instantly. Now, it's probably not being reported in the way a critical journalist would do. But uh, there's a foreign uh, ministry press conference at three o'clock every afternoon. Uh, I'm free to go, and anyone, any any foreign journalist, any registered is free to go and ask a question, and that you can get the next day on, on um, an English transcript. So in some ways, um, and if I want to get on a plane, in theory, apart from to bed, um, I could probably go somewhere. Um, countering that is, is a change in tone of, of the government really um, uh, controlling more, um, putting more pressure on Chinese people about what they can say publicly, and certainly my assistant, who's been working for the paper for some time, is saying it's much, much harder to get uh, academics to come out or people to speak and just make a comment. Um, the pressures on them are, are, are quite great. And, and there are a lot of people now that you could have rung up five years ago, how's the economy going? How's Australia-China going? Um, be more cautious. So, um, so in a funny way, you know, things are more open than they were in the past. I mean... 20, 30 years ago, or perhaps even 10 years ago, you'd have the journalist uh, who would wait for their assistant to come in and he'd painstakingly read the China Daily. Uh, now, you know, there's quite a lot of information you can access, um, but uh, there is that concern, I suppose, of, of people having their name in the paper. I had one story, and I won't name the person, uh, 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 you know, a Western person made an extremely innocuous comment about this whole situation. And it just rebounded on that person so much and on their business and the, the business 
um, all the people in the business saying just don't, you know, just don't make any waves. And um, uh, so there's this increasing phenomenon of people being very cautious about speaking and, and time after time, you know, when you do want to speak to someone, well, you can't use their name or you can't identify them. So, uh, uh, do you are you conscious that yeah are, are you conscious of um, see see I think one of the narratives that gets transposed on China these days is a kind of Russian Cold War narrative, right? Then we just replace the word Russia with China, and so the idea is that you know, the journalists get followed home uh, after work and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, there's dark cars following you around. Is there, is there anything like that going on? Honestly, they, they can probably monitor your WeChat or, or they could do it all electronically uh, if they wanted to. Mm. Um, I have only been here since July. Mm-hmm. Um, facial recognition here is highly... The, the thing is, as a Westerner, you stick out anyway. So mm. you're obvious. Facial recognition is quite high. Um, I, I was told by another colleague um, who was um, perhaps not reporting on a demonstration but just talking to some people who were... Um, from the country who'd come to protest, and uh, she was spoken to by a policeman who already knew who she was, mm. uh, and she suspected they had uh, got her details by facial recognition. But you have to assume, yeah, I think the old days when they followed your home in past, the electronic stuff is very, <laughs> it's probably quite quite sophisticated if they... Uh, if they want to use it, I think you you have to assume that you could be monitored. If you know, I, I can't imagine somebody wanting money monitor me. Well, Glenda, it's interesting you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, Australian journalists' relationship with the local um, Chinese government there. I will also want to turn, uh, go to the other direction and asking a question about uh, Australian uh, media's relationship with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, government and uh, foreign affairs uh, ministry in Australia. For instance, you know, when Julia Bishop, when she was the uh, minister, she criticised the media uh, a number of times saying the media was informing the public about Australian-China relationship. So clearly there is a tension between um, the government's foreign affairs agenda and journalists' desire to tell the stories in a certain way. So do you experience this kind of tension? Well, um, we are told, uh, and look, I've been a foreign girl, I've been worked all around the world, you have to have a good, as good a relationship as you can with the embassy um, for various reasons. You have to know what people are coming through and uh, all this, but um, the the rule is, uh, and it was spelled out clearly. You can't quote any of us. Uh, you uh, every comment has to come from DFAT in Canberra, um, and that's the rules they have to live with. And uh, so, in a way, if I want any statement about anything, I have to email DFAT in Canberra the same way as anyone else, and that's a constraint they're under um, as well. And uh, I think that. Um, Yes, the default thing is probably the government would prefer things uh, were not... If there's tensions and things, they probably would like to play them play them down. I I did hear there was a company, Treasury um, Wine Estate, which owns Penfolds. They had some problems getting wine in um, about last May. Um, they, they decided to disclose that to the stock exchange, um, and I heard, like, informally that the government would have preferred they didn't speak out about mm. that. Um, mm. I, I didn't hear it directly, but I certainly heard that on the mm. grapevine. So I think they 
if there's problems, they'd somehow prefer we weren't covering it. Well, I would like true. to ask the, uh, Suleen a question as she's, she's the person who is actually reporting on this uh, domestically in, in Australia. How do you see this tension being played out in everyday reporting? Between media and government? Yes. I think... Because journalists, <laughs> many journalists, are, are quite vain and they're all after an award. They're looking for, they're witch hunting. The Walkley. Oh, absolutely. They're looking for a Walkley and we all know how that plays out. So they're after an award and they're looking for something that is sensational and, and, and it rides on the trend, it plays into emotions, which are unfounded and not necessarily backed by evidence. And you can see all the defamation cases that of late that point to that. Right. Again, journalism has lost its footing when it comes to reporting on China. We are still the father state. We have a responsibility to the public. Right. Governments may have games to play. They have votes to win. But we have to report both sides of the story and both voices. The current discourse at the moment is completely one sided. It's about Australia's fear of China, Australia's fear of China buying up Australia and all that stuff that you can actually control. So we've lost our middle voice, our balance, you know, where we were supposed to look after, you know, the people of Australia. And, and the ones that actually do do balanced stories, they're not actually out there being read widely because they're behind a paywall. You know, the, the, the blogs, the newspaper, the, the, the onlines, they pick up everything they can find for a headline, for an award. And that's a problem. Just on that, do you think the kind of the more partisan media, so... The Global Times, obviously a mouthpiece of the PRC, mm. um, uh, and there are certain partisan, maybe more pro-government news organisations in this country. Uh, Catherine Murphy recently, you know, noted that 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 had been described as sort of megaphone diplomacy, that the media is being used as a tool of furthering foreign policy. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, Global Times, we all know, has is the mouthpiece, oh. right? As is all a lot of the national piece, uh, papers I, I, in China. But they don't purport to be a democracy. They don't go out and say, right, we're a balanced democracy, we, we fa fair balanced commentary and, and write solidly founded stories. Mm -hmm. They don't purport to do that. That's not their, their, their business model, they're if you will. They're propagandists. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But we, we talk about being a democracy and we're doing exactly the thing that is not democratic. We are doing exactly that thing is one-sided and it's actually, in fact, further, d d doing exactly what these global times of the world are doing. You're speaking one side of the story. So we've all gone to both sides of the fence. You're in that camp and I'm in this camp. Glenda, what do you think of that? That seems... I, mean, I think there are real issues of China now growing up and becoming a world power, becoming more, um, you know, playing a bigger role and being more confident and a little bit more aggressive. This seems to be then turning into hating every Chinese or critical of and wary of every Chinese. And, and, you know, we don't do that with America. We don't do that with... You know, we don't blame, if we don't like Putin, we don't somehow turn it into a mass criticism of every Russian. And and people are, um, who are in the Australia-China business, being affected by this constant barrage of, of negative comment, which somehow conflates ordinary Chinese people with what the government might be doing. Do you think the Australian media is then being complicit in that? I mean, again, that's a broad statement, the Australian media, but... Are there sections of the Australian media that are buying into that more than others? Um, I think there's certainly journalists who are reporting on it. Um, but, I mean, I think um, if you look at... I mean, my background is a business journalist, and that's the way I followed, followed China. 
Um, if you look in the business section, we're, very, we're daily reporting, actually, business deals with China, you know, Blackmores or what. Or, so there are other streams and uh, there are other streams of the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it does come down to a, a, a sort of a gap at the top in, in government. Um, and I think the future is going to be much more complicated as well. And we need to be able to, you know, walk and chew gum sort of thing. We need to realise the future world is much more complicated with two superpowers jostling up against each other and a much more confident China. And we and the government hasn't worked out how really to deal with that. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how perhaps Penny Wong will, will do. Mm. Um, so there's not a, a leadership coming from the government or... In fact, as Turnbull has revealed, perhaps in the speech he's made, um, yeah, he, his main focus was on the security issues or perceived security um, security issues. Um, so, look, there are other streams of, of reporting as well that are there to be found, but I suppose the main the main thing that's getting in the papers at the moment is um, somehow this security threat yeah. issue and these unnamed buying and hacking and um, all these other unnamed evil forces that we're supposed to be worried about. So um, I guess in some ways the media has been criticised uh, for its coverage on issues to in, in, in terms of China influence. For instance, uh, Peter Manning, who is a former uh, former ABC person, he described uh, this kind of uh, a trend and of journalism to move from investigation to what he called excess journalism, and uh, and also James Lawrenson at UTS uh, also produced a report which aims to uh, debunk a whole range of myth, if you like, about China's power and influence. Um, so, obviously, from what you're saying, there is a problem with the uh, Australian media's chi- reporting on, on China. Um, so, you think this um, criticism are justified? Uh, I, I, th- I think it is, because I think the people who are running the paper often lies in the hands of several journalists and several editors who are, you know, for one of a better word, friends and you know, in power for a very long time. They already have a set view and they're not easily influenced by other new journalists or journalists with, you know, ethnic backgrounds like us, you know, who have a knowledge of how things work and cultural transparency. So they're not open to that in that sense. So I think, and and, and even the national broadcaster, I feel, is leaning towards that as well, which is very disappointing if you're a national broadcaster um, and putting out a lot of programs off late, especially on Four Corners that are just so swayed to one direction. It's it's stunning that I I am I'm gobsmacked as a taxpayer and an Australian citizen to see this happening, knowing that there is definitely another side of the story as a journalist. Well, do you think that these kind of stories tend to uh, play on more on emotion rather than fact when it comes to coverage of? China? Oh, absolutely. Is that what the problem main problem is? Oh, absolutely. People love an emotional story, don't they? Then they love the drama. So the more, I mean, that is why things like Married at First Sight is exciting on TV because they love the drama. They don't want to know the hard facts or having to understand something that's difficult. And, and to Peter's point earlier, maybe it's just easy to see China as a village full of pheasants and people making shoes in factories and all that. And suddenly that views change and it's really hard to see something else. And, and, and they can't get their head around it. And our leaders are not teaching or guiding us towards being a flexible thinker rather than, you know, one-dimensional. Glenda, just a quick, quick question on this. Uh, do you think that this 
uh, if you like, polarity stems from or is a product of uh, the industry, the journalism industry, and the kind of tough times we face, and therefore there's fewer resources around to do in-depth reporting, and it's easier to cut the corners and go with the kind of dominant narrative. Yes, you know, cost-wise, um, it, it, it does affect what people do all day. It doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, there's, um, uh, like, say if I wanted to perhaps go out into the rural parts of China and spend a week or two, I don't know if that would be justified uh, financially or not. But, um, uh, yeah, and, and this, this kind of journalism where people seem to allege things without actually saying, saying things seems to be uh, seems to be prevalent. But, um I think we are in changing times, though. I mean, it's not just Australia. You look at the stuff that Trump has been saying. You look at Mike Pence, mm. who's done this massive attack, um, this worldwide debate about Huawei and China's influence. So um, I think you have to look at the debate in Australia in a, in a broader in a broader sense. Mm-hmm. And, and the future, I mean, Paul speaking and, and others, actually, other thinkers um, are saying the future will be... Australia has to learn that the future is about dealing with people that might not look like us, whatever us is. Um, it, it, they might not have the same government as us. They might not have the same religious as us. Again, you know, speaking as a white Caucasian person, but uh, the study the has to engage with Asia and we have to be grown up and we have to realise that all the governments of Asia are very, very different. Well, and let, we have to not just jump up and down and say, well, this is not a democracy. Right. And it takes the complexity yes. to doing that, and I think that complexity is missing. Uh, and my fear is that Australia will lose opportunities because there's plenty of other countries who are in here trying to do business and have a relationship, mm. and, and you have to constantly engage with China. Yeah. It changes very quickly, um, and, and now it's a very proud country. So I'm not defending everything it does, but... I think we need to keep engaging in a um, in a more sophisticated way. Not if, if we just are throwing rocks from the outside. Well, you know, we'll just live in our little island, and we won't be part of uh, this sort of Asian um, uh, Asian growth story, which is happening. Well, Glenda, you you've just talked about the need to, to look at the complex picture and the need to avoid simplicity, being simplistic, and uh, which I think is absolutely crucial here. So here is a question I want to. Uh, put to you and Suline, but you first. Uh, that is, if you're asked to come up with uh, uh, some recommendations for, say, Australian journalists reporting on China, let, let's call them best practices in, in reporting China, what would you recommend? Well, I suppose the more journalists that come here, the better, um, and try and understand it. Um, from China's side, too, they get a bit thin-skinned. Like, as sometimes I talk to the Chinese side and they say, why are you criticising? And I say, well, if you criticise Donald Trump every day as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think perhaps the more uh, journalists that come here and, and try and engage and realise it's a very complicated, uh, interesting, but complicated um, country, the better. Uh, maybe getting, you know, editors up here a bit more as well, you know, senior people in the paper to to understand what what uh, what life's about. Um, and again, you know, leadership perhaps at, at the political level of, of taking us forward in, in a complicated world. Um, and again, very interesting to see if Labor, uh, and Labor traditionally is engaged with China in a better, in a, 
in a better way than than the Liberals in a way. But you know, we're we're in a uh, we're in a new world. So again, the more I suppose you know, more the more coverage, the more people we can get to come up here and, and see what's going on, um, and and just engagement, just constant engagement, rather than perhaps sitting sitting uh, and just sort of throwing rocks, um, which is easy to do. So that kind of exposure and immersion is really crucial to getting a, a, a sense of what's happening on the ground. I I get that sense from you, Glenda. That's the message you want to get through, right? Yes. Um, what struck me is in moving here is how important China is to Australia, of course, and to the world. I mean, and and it it's growing. I mean, it's grown enormously, and yet it's um it but it's still a still a communist government, uh, but it's saying we're going to do it in our way. And mm. how do you engage with that? How do you how do you report the positives and negatives of that? It's yeah. very complicated and well, um, we need more yeah, we need we need to be able to approach China in a complex Wow. Yeah, well, increasing. Uh, yeah, increasingly, China is reported both from people like you who are based in China and people like Suleen who are based in Australia. So I would ask Suleen the same question: uh, If you are asked to come up with a list of recommendations in best practices in covering China, what would you recommend? I'd say that you know I'll even break it down from immersion, just very simply. If you're in Australia. Go and spend some time with your Chinese friends. Go and have lunch and dinner with Chinese students. Go and you know speak with new migrants. Go to the neighborhoods where they live. You know, actually, if you don't speak Mandarin, that's okay. Bring a friend. Bring a translator. Actually, turning up at places that make you uncomfortable. If you were never there in the first place and you've never had any exposure to a friend or a community, actually turn up.、Um, that is all we have time for this week on the middle. You can find previous episodes, as I mentioned,、uh, online at themiddleau.com, and subscribe to us whatever podcast app you might use. And until next week, it's goodbye from me, Peter Frey, and goodbye from me, Wanning Sang. And thank you both to our guests. <laughs>